Welcome to this week's episode of Everyday Thin Places. I'm Rachel Gallagher, and I'm an interfaith hospice chaplain. And I'm Elizabeth Ferrasso, and I'm a birth doula. And in each episode of Everyday Thin Places, we draw from our experiences supporting birthing people and dying people to explore with honesty, authenticity, and humor how we can all become more truly living people. Today we are joined by a really special guest. Dr. Joshua Black is with us, and he is one of the few people to seriously and academically study the intersection of grief and dreams. And so Dr. Joshua Black, welcome to Everyday Thin Places. We're so thrilled to have you with us. Can you just start by telling us what are grief dreams and then how you became interested in this particular facet of psychology and the human experience? Yeah, yeah, of course. So first, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be able to just talk about, you know, my life a little bit. It's, you know, you, you have friends and people, they don't want to hear the stories anymore. So it's, <laughs> it's great to talk to some new people and uh, rejuvenate sort of, you know, and look at my life. So one of the things when it comes to grief dreams is it is like an umbrella term. And so one of the, the best way to put it, there's, there's three after, after the death has happened. So one is you have the, uh, an individual has a dream, but the deceased isn't in it. And there's no mention of the loss, but it reflects the waking reality of what the person's going through. So that would be, let's say they have a dream. It's very symbolic. They, they're walking by this mountain. The mountain crushes them, and they're feeling this heaviness on them. And so it really reflects the individual's waking life. So then the next one is when the deceased is not in the dream, but someone in the, in the scene mentions them in some way, or they go back to a place that... Um, is reflective of that individual, like maybe the hospital where they died at, or like I've seen a lot where angels or God will talk about the deceased in some way, or, or a character will ask how they're doing in the dream about with the loss. And then the third one is what most people want to hear about, and that's the dreams with the deceased in the imagery in, in some fashion. And so it could be that they're physically present in the dream in their, I guess, human form, quote unquote. Uh, the other one is where they're in like a different form. It could be a bird, it could be a cloud, something like that. Or they're communicating over a telephone, so not actually in the imagery, but their voices in some way. So those are the three. And then there's some dreams prior to loss that I've incorporated within it, like anticipatory grief dreams. So if someone's going through, if someone's like on like in hospice, they may have these dreams that reflect what the individual is actually um, processing um, when it comes to their grief on, on, on that change. And then there's also these dreams, well, more paranormal in nature, where people have these dreams of the deceased prior to knowing that they've actually died, like officially died. Mm-hmm. And that's always interesting to me because those dreams are very similar to the dreams that they would, they would have afterwards, mm-hmm. where the person's saying goodbye or that they love them. And I think, you know, when I look at that, I can't understand it or explain it, but I feel like maybe there's some type of bond that people share beyond time that there's just this knowing. I guess like, you know, mothers say that with their kids, if their kids are, you know, feeling stressed or something, they just know. And even though there's no communication, so I feel like there's like this cord of love somewhere or somehow, and that, you know, sometimes these dreams can really have an impact on validating that for some people. So that's the first question. What was the next question? (laughs) 
That's great. I feel like we have a, now we have a primer for all the different types of grief dreams. It's awesome. Um, so how did you get interested in this? Um, it, it seems like it's a very niche field. And so we would just love to hear a little bit about your story and, and how you became so interested in it. You know, I just, I guess the first part, let's go back to just dreams in general. I had no interest in dreams growing up as a kid. I grew up in a very uh, a Christian home, but the, the issues with that was they sort of viewed a lot of the dreams I was having as the devil. So I really had this sort of negative sense on dreams in general, and I didn't want to remember them. And if I did remember them, they tend to be like nightmarish in nature. And at that time, no one really knew anything about dreams around me. And so they put it, like what happens when someone doesn't know something and it's negative, they put it like a Christian person will put it on the devil of some sort. And that's what my parents did. And I've come to learn now more about dreams and that dreams represent our waking life. And so those nightmares were actually based on an unsafe environment at home. My dad had issues with drinking and emotion regulation is the best way to put it. And then also at school, I was being bullied. So, you know, you have those two things going on, like both environments that you spend a lot of time at. It's just unsafe, and that sort of goes into your waking life or into your dreams. And so I never really appreciated them until I had a a really serious breakup. Uh, The individual cheated on me and basically just broke my heart and broke me down to a state of suffering I really haven't felt before, and I was right at the end of high school. And it was about three days I couldn't sleep or eat, and I was just like so so hopeless to understand where the pain was coming from. And what happened was I just sort of like bent down and prayed to whoever, because as much as I was in a Christian home, I didn't really like to be in a Christian home and like have abuse going on. Like it just, it just didn't really match up. So I just prayed to whoever was out there. Maybe there's something, you know, bigger than me. And I, and so I just like asked for understanding. I didn't ask for it to be taken away. I asked for understanding. And so what happened was that That night, I actually had a great sleep, and I had a dream, and the dream completely changed my understanding of dreams in general, because not only did I have it and I felt it was meaningful, I actually knew it, like, I understood the meaning of it, and it was the first time in my life, and, like, no one taught me, it's just, like, this knowing when I woke up, and I don't know how much time we have to talk about the dream, but if you want me to share the dream, I I can, okay. Yeah, I want to hear about this dream. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so remember... So I'm I'm searching for an answer on why I was feeling the pain. So the dream was I was this reporter and I was searching for something. And I was following the stream and the stream was like going under bridges, over valleys. It felt like it was like an eight hour straight dream where it's just me following this river. And the river went to this um, ocean. And then on the, I was looking around and there was a pier. And on the pier, uh, there was a gentleman there. So I ran over to him. And I asked frantically, you know, like, where is it? Where is it? And he, you know, those people that like know stuff, but, <laughs> but they, don't, they don't actually tell you, but you tell them their eyes that they, <laughs> they got the answers. Well, he had that, uh, that presence about him. And so he said, it could be over there pointing to the left of the ocean. It could be over there pointing to the right. He said, oh, it could be over there pointing straight ahead. But then he turned. And just with, like, this knowing, he's like, but you know, want to know where it truly is? And I said, yes, 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 tell me, tell me. And he pointed to his mind. And then I woke up like a shot of lightning went through me. And I said, like, I knew the dream had meaning. And it, I also knew what it meant. And it meant that my pain wasn't caused by 
her per se, which I was blaming. I was or blaming him per se for cheating with her. It actually was called for my. It was caused for my perception on how I felt about myself, mm-hmm. and I needed her to feel that I was loved. And what happened there was that betrayal and everything. It brought up a, a truth that I ignored for my entire life that I didn't fully love myself, and that was what was bringing it. That's what I was dealing with. It was just the absolute truth that I had a lot of issues that I haven't dealt with. I didn't love myself. I couldn't look in the mirror and say, you know, you're worthy. And so my next question from right after that was, well, then how can I love myself? And so that's been my journey since that day on. And it's changed on how I looked at dreams and how I look at life. And I think that really impacts how I then, you know, research these dreams as I move forward. But that was a turning point for me. And then it wasn't until my dad died which is probably about, yeah, about four years later, I had a, you know, like his loss was the first real significant loss that I had in my life. And once again, it's those first that really have a huge impact in understanding what, what people may go through in, in some extent. And for me, it, it completely broke me because it was such a sudden loss. Like we, he was supposed to pick me up for a hockey game. It was a couple of days before my birthday. It was like that birthday present kind of thing. And we're just building our relationship again. So remember in the, I told you in the beginning, well, there was a rocky relationship to say the least um, with him as a father and it was his, you know, with his drinking and, and his, uh, the way he uh, coped with, with life. The, after sort of when we got older, I started rebuilding that relationship. So it's been about a year or two since we're rebuilding that. And so for me, that's a huge impact. And what, what this story is because I don't really see it with a a lot of my other siblings that I have. They were still afraid of him in many ways. And so after his loss, I completely shut down again. And it felt like, I guess it'd be the best way to be. I was was in a state of depression where everything, the color was taken out of my life. I was still going back to school. I was in university, right? So I was still going back to school at that time. And that was helpful. I was going to work. But I felt like there was no life in me. Like everything that used to give me life or enjoyment just never did anymore. And you just and I just kept moving forward with that. And I never really asked for help at that time as a, a good male in our society. <laughs> I really embraced the uh, I don't need help <laughs> mentality. But like now I do, right? But that's it's a challenge of you know being a male in these times is to really try to process your emotions and to work through some of those, those fears and and those social expectations. And so what happened was about three months later, I'm still feeling this whole same way. I had a dream of my dad and I wasn't asking for one. I didn't even know it was something you could even get for the, for the most part, it wasn't part of my consciousness in any way, but I had a dream and the dream completely changed me. And like, I like, I still don't fully understand it. And like talking about thin places, like it's just like one of those mysteries in life that I don't fully understand even to this day. But I'll tell you the dream. So I was sleeping in my bed and the dream was in my in my actual room. And I could I was in my bed in my room and I could see him at the other end. And he was looking through some of my stuff that was a part of my room, and everything was in the exact same detail as it was in waking life. It's the weirdest thing. Like usually there's a lot of differences in, in my other dreams I had. But like everything was just like it felt like real in, in a way. And he looked different than I ever saw him before. He looked healthy and happy. That heaviness that he always walked around with in life wasn't there. He felt like light in a way. 
And I walked up to him and I said, you know, I'm going to miss you, you know, acknowledging the loss. And I said, I loved him. And we hugged and I woke up. It was a short dream, but what was crazy was when I woke up, everything changed. Like for whatever reason, I didn't need to interpret the dream. I just woke up changed. And I sat, just sat at the end of my bed. I'm trying to figure out what just happened because I went, I was so used to this current state of, um, I guess, depression or um, lack of life that how did this change everything? It didn't make sense to me. And so I just sat there in confusion, but at the same time rejoicing that I started feeling something again. And for me, like that was such a beautiful moment because like I was able to process and regulate my emotions again. And it's like I never, it's not like I was over my grief. It was just that I could regulate, I could feel joy, I could feel sadness. I wasn't stuck in that moment where I couldn't feel anything. So for me, that was just a remarkable experience. And I never told anyone, which is the craziest thing. It was like the most life-changing experience, but I didn't tell anyone. And I never knew why. I just, I just went back, did school, and, and finished. And so I didn't actually want to research this stuff to begin with. So what happened, this is a pretty long story, but what, what happened was I was trying to be an elementary school teacher. That was my goal from since I was maybe in elementary school. Like, that's just my dad really put that you know, within my consciousness that they have a good pension. Uh, maybe in Canada, I don't know about in the States, but they get pretty, pretty well here. And so that was my goal. And then when I applied and I got in for the interview, I just felt this, that wasn't the path for me anymore. And I'm not sure because my dad was dead and I didn't have that pressure to please him anymore in that way. But I just said, no, I'm going to decline. But I had no idea what I was going to do anyway. So it was about a year there where I was trying to figure out my life and trying to figure out what I could do with my degree in psychology. You couldn't really do much, to tell you the truth. Nothing that was fulfilling anyways. And so I'm like, how can I get fulfillment in my life? So I'm like, well, maybe I'll volunteer somewhere. I've always volunteered in like basketball camps and stuff. And so I volunteered at a hospice because they had a bereavement program. I thought, you know, this would be really nice to be able to do. And so when I did that, the people I kept being coming in contact with, either through group or through one-on-one support, they kept asking about these dreams. So some people were saying, you know, I had these negative dreams, you know, like, what does it mean? Like, how do I understand them? Other people were having these positive dreams. Other people weren't having dreams, and they were very concerned that these dreams meant that their loved one wasn't okay, um, that maybe they didn't love them anymore, um, something like that. So there's all these really weird things, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to look at the academic research. It's something like I've been trained to do in, in some way. And there wasn't anything to be able to provide them to give them any kind of answers to the questions they had. So at that moment, I really sort of had a, um, you, know, an, a, you know, an aha moment or a moment which really said, like, could I do something here? Because no one else seems to be doing it or seems to care. And so I said, yeah, you know, I'm going to try this. So I looked around to sort of where could I even study this subject that's not being studied. Mm-hmm. Because the one, people, one thing people need to know is that just because you have an idea doesn't mean someone's going to actually, you can't go to your master's or PhD and say, I want to do this. You need a supervisor that studies that. So when you're trying to be a pioneer in a field, it's very difficult to actually get someone to sign on and say yes without trying to them change what your focus is so it matches their focus mm-hmm. so the the crazy story is where i was was a it was trent university um and they actually had a dream program which like a, a professor who actually studied dreams and there's only a few in canada and so i was like i was completely shocked because i studied at brock university and they didn't really have anything like that 
So I, I faced my fear and did the GREs and, <laughs> and, and got in, which is great. And then from there, I learned so much more about the topic and the concerns people have and the biases people have that really shocked me. And I really knew that it's such an important topic for anyone who worked with the bereaved to really understand. And from there on, like I couldn't finish all those questions that the individuals had that got me into the program, right? I really, because it's only a one year or two year program, but you really have one year to do your research. So there's not really much you could really look at. So I just looked at a couple things. But my PhD was really the, the big thing that I was able to focus on the questions that I wanted to focus on and really, you know, do that research because you have four years to be able to do that stuff. And the crazy story of that is, so Trent University didn't have a PhD program in psychology, but Brock University had one. And um, there was someone who studied trauma there, but not dreams per se. And so uh, when I went and talked to her, her first answer was no, mm-hmm. um, that this wasn't going to be suited for you. But the person, the crazy thing is the person that um, studied trauma was also my boss when my, my dad died. So I was a TA at, for Psych1F90 at that time. And she was just there and she, I remember her being so sweet. And so she just really said she got the interview to help me out to figure out my direction because it wasn't going to be here. And she's like, there's no work in dreams. And I said, I'm not trying to study dreams in general. I said, this is the only thing I want to study is these dreams of the deceased. And I said, I gave her reasons why. And in a matter of like a couple seconds, something switched in her mind. And all of a sudden she said, you know what, let's do this. Let's, you know, I want to, I want to get you in here. Let's try to see if we can actually figure this stuff out too. Lo and behold, did I realize afterwards she had her own dreams Mm. that, right? (laughs) And I'm like, okay, okay. I, I see where this is going. And so, for me, it was a huge learning curve, and it was such a struggle because at the end of the day, I never wanted to be an academic. I really didn't. So learning the stats and learning the procedures and methods and stuff, it was a huge learning curve for me, which, you know, at times I wanted to quit. But, you know, like a lot of people support in the area it really helped me keep going, and I was able to finish and finish with, you know, great understanding of the topic and, and research and, and just the, the love of people on being able to do the topic um, and so that's really the story there. And from there on now, it's about raising awareness because once again, like you do the research, which is great, but there's an issue with a lot of research where no one actually figured, no one knows about your stuff. Yeah. And so it sits in a drawer somewhere until, you know, I guess popular culture or their culture really looks at it. So now it's about raising awareness and sort of say, hey, like these are the answers I got. And the crazy part is it's very common for most people and children to have one of these dreams after many types of loss. And like, for me, that was the most shocking part of the whole thing, because I just thought it was going to be like here and there, maybe 10, 15 percent of the population. But for the most part, like the different stats that I found were absolutely like ridiculous. So if you look at, so I did a study on spells of loss and it was 86 percent um, had a dream of the deceased within a year or two after the loss. After pet loss, it was 76%. After uh, a miscarriage, it was around 68%. Um, and then around oh, 58%, sorry. And then there was a study that was done with children, it was around 55%. So like you start looking at the percentage of these and the clients that people have probably have seen and have never asked. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of these dreams are positive, but, a, but there is a, a fair amount, around probably around 40, 20 to 40% of people's dreams are negative that they report. And so it's like that distress can really impact a lot on people 
not only, especially with children, understanding what death is, but just the distress in general, people are afraid to go to bed. Or people will make these um, judgments about what it means about their, maybe their soul or about themselves and the guilt that they have or reinforces the guilt that they have. And so it's really about providing people some space to really talk about this, to understand a little bit more. And that's where my heart goes out to is just trying to help people really work through such a crazy thing called grief. And, you know, you can see these dreams in many ways. And, you, and we'll talk about uh, hopefully, too, about even in the pandemic and how, how they can affect people. Well, you are raising awareness. You have a podcast called Grief Dreams. Um, we know that you just launched an online course where people can come and learn more. Um, so you're you're doing what you set out to do. And I just am struck by how helpful, you know, I'm a hospice chaplain. Um, and sadly, I don't have a lot of um, interaction with people after, like after the loved one has died, they kind of get passed on to our bereavement team. But um, like you said, the statistics are there to show that this is kind of a universal experience. And so having a place where people can come and hear stories of other grief dreams just seems so powerful to me. And, you know, especially in a time that can feel so lonely when you've lost a loved one or a pet, to know that you're not alone, you're not the only one just is, you're doing great work. We're we're so appreciative. Thank you. You know, I always you know question like, can I do more? Right. And I think that's sort of just where it is. Is just continuing to find that meaning and and do your best to to raise awareness to to make it meaningful. And at the end of the day, it does allow me to find meaning in my own loss, which you, I constantly strive to do. And just to you know to learn, and I'm still learning. So there's not like as much as like. I've published the most papers in this area. There's so much more that we need to do. And I, since you do work at hospice, which is very beautiful, um, what's interesting about a lot of these dreams is that in the beginning, especially with the dreams of the deceased, they focus on the individual's grief, right? Trying to help them and work through that. And I should say around 90% of people who have one of these types of dreams will have a, t- a positive dream, which is actually very it actually just it doesn't make sense for a lot of times because dreams reflect our waking life. And so most people on average will have negative dreams in general. So they're predominantly negative just because people are stressed out. And so that stress goes into our dreams. And then if you look at dreams after trauma, they're even more predominantly negative. And so you'd think in, a, in grief, which is very, you know, it's, it's highly related to trauma, you'd have more negative dreams. But yet when the deceased is in the imagery, they're tending to be positive in nature, not negative. And so this is a really weird thing that's occurring that you know I still don't understand. It just allows me to sit in the mystery of this. But there's something different going on when it comes to when the deceased is present. I think it's probably be sim- similar to people who have maybe dreams of prophets and stuff. They tend to be more positive too. Um, but what's interesting is so as you work through your loss, those dreams will change based on where you are. So... So in the beginning, they're about your grief. Let's say you work through some of that. And then all of a sudden, let's say five, ten years later, you, you go through a divorce. Well, then those dreams of the deceased will now help you through that divorce, which is fascinating to me. And then at end of life, this is where you come in, <laughs> end of life, those dreams come back and help people with the transition from life to death. And so they really ease the burden and allow people to feel that it's safe to almost like let go of the body or just be able to die peacefully. And they can work through some of that stuff. So I think it's very very interesting on how that changes because there's so much that we need to know 
And there's a lot of potential to learn from those dreams on how we can do better in waking life to help those who are in need too. It's just, it's so fascinating. It, it, and it makes such sense that this is such a ripe area for us to learn from that we, I mean, I don't know what percentage of our sleeping hours we actually spend dreaming, but I know that we spend more hours of our life sleeping than really any other single activity. Um, we all we all are born, we all are eventually going to die. And so these like dreaming is sort of one of those other rare universals. And yeah. I think the three of us talking, um, it just makes perfect sense to have this conversation. Um, I do I'm, know the answer to that question. I, yeah, tell me. Oh, good. We have the expert. Tell me what percentage of, of sleeping time are we dreaming? So it's interesting, because a lot of times when people talk about dreams, they'll say, they'll refer to REM dreams. So the mm-hmm. dreams when you're in REM state, and so around 75 to 80% of the time, you know, if someone wakes you up in that state, you're going to remember a dream, okay? But what's interesting is in non-REM, you're still dreaming. And those dreams actually look a little different than what you'd dream in REM. And so if you wake someone up in that, it's around 50% of the time. So if you're sleeping around eight hours, right, you're looking at you're probably dreaming maybe five to six, six hours maybe, within that time, but all we usually remember is one dream, if that. So the average is around one to two dreams a week someone remembers, and you and that can ch- change based on, you know, we talk about it, but just based on your attitude towards dreams. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is in the public, there is 10% of the population that just doesn't remember their dreams. Everyone's mm-hmm. dreaming, they just don't mm-hmm. remember them. Right. I have a child who claims that she doesn't dream. I'm like, I know you dream, just don't remember. <laughs> um, it, you don't it- have to wake her up. <laughs> when, when you see her eyes shifting at night, so she's in REM, and then you'll have yeah. a good chance of uh, seeing what she's dreaming about. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm like a, I'm an incredibly vivid dreamer, uh, and I remember dreams that I've had decades ago. I still remember them in detail. So, one thing that when I am championing championing midwifery care, part of the reason for that is I remember the first time that I was pregnant. Um, the midwife who was taking care of me, who ultimately was the one that ended up catching my baby. Um, during one of our appointments, it was not just about, you know, what's your blood pressure? What's your weight gain? You know, it, mm-hmm. she said, have you been, have you noticed a theme in your dreams? Is there anything that keeps coming up? And mm-hmm. it, it's, it was so astounding to me that someone would first, a part of my life that was a really rich part of my experience, uh, as someone who does dream vividly for someone to show interest in that as a part of my care as a part of my prenatal care. And so I just think that for me as a doula, for the midwives out there, for Rachel as a hospice worker, in these really important times of life, like pregnancy and birth and in the loss of a loved one or facing your own death, we should be asking people about their dreams. It should just be routine. There should be a dream therapist or whatever, I don't know, whatever, um, whatever exact... Um, professional that would be doing this, but it's it's just an area that seems like it deserves so much attention. It, it does, and I like I like how you said she caught your baby. I, I'm not sure if that how it works. I'm, that is the is that, that is the medical term because the midwife is just there to receive the baby, and the like, birthing person is doing the work. So. Okay. I got a dream lesson today. You got a birth lesson. Today. Excellent. All right. Good to know. So what I want to say is I actually did some research on miscarriages and dreams mm-hmm. that people have after that. And what's interesting is, you know, people, as you probably know, can dream of their child, of the, I guess, the future child while they're pregnant. And that's actually a very common thing. 
And so that is very interesting and in, in sort of understanding maybe why that, that is occurring. And, I, and one of the theories is to really develop this bond with the child before it comes. And I think that is, is understandable because of, that's exactly one of the reasons why we dream of the deceased afterwards is to continue that bond with them you know, after they've died. So before and even after, you start seeing these, these dreams come into play. And they tend to be sort of, same, once again, a little more positive. But it, what's, what's interesting is that, you know, when people do have the miscarriage, they are dreaming of the child um, in a physical form and at different ages, which I think is phenomenal how you can dream of someone you've never met. You know, like, so it's not just a memory that's coming to play. There's something else going on and how beautiful that is. And those dreams are phenomenal. Like, like to me, like I'm just sitting in that because some of the dreams that the child would be in different ages and based, I look at it either, it's a lot of times based on what the person needs in their own life. The age will, will I think, mm. um, be appropriate to that. But I've seen a lot of dreams where the, the teenager or older and they give basically comforting advice to release the guilt that mother has because the the miscarriage. And I think that's one of those the sad things that you know both you know mothers who also did partners to go through about like could they have done more? And they distrust their body. And these dreams can help people to to either try again or just release that aspect of that grief that they're feeling to really work through some of the other emotions because. You know, without you know, I look at these dreams, and without some of these dreams, I can't imagine where our society would be. Like they're so impactful in people's journey and their resilience through trauma and grief that you know, like we need to talk about them because they're such an important part of how we heal and how we move forward. And I said there are those trauma dreams and how we can get stuck still, but you know, like for the most part, you know, these dreams have such impact in our lives, but yet no one's really talked about them. And I think that's you know the the beauty of the conversation is that. This goes with not just, you know, I think these dreams are very important. And then, and then I post to look, why not other dreams look at a little bit more? Other dreams can be a little more crazy <laughs> and a little, a little harder to interpret in, in that way. But these dreams can be a little more easier for people to, to get around. And most people value these dreams um, in some way or they remember them for a longer period of time. So I say, let's start here and then we can work our way from there. But we got to start somewhere. So I would say start here. Love that. I got chills when you were talking about that. And yeah, I mean, I just think this is such a thin place. You know, we describe thin places as the places where, you know, our inhibitions are lessened and we are our true authentic selves. And it just seems like, well, that's our dreams. You know, that's whatever is happening, our subconscious, um, whatever the reflection of what's going on in our day-to-day life but our inhibitions are down and dreams are such a thin place. I'm just so happy to be having this conversation. And I love that we're talking to an expert, a doctor, a PhD, who is willing to say, I don't have all of the answers. And one of the great aspects of this research is that there is so much mystery. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's so true. Yeah, well, hey, well, you got to be real. And I, I just, I personally don't like when people try to just have all the answers. It makes me question them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you just be real with what you know and what you've seen, I think a lot of people can get back behind that. And then to facilitate more research on the topic, like I can't just do this by myself. Like you need the world to start valuing these and to say, and basically believe it's safe. And I think one of the issues that I found starting it is a lot of people 
looked at these dreams as visitations kind of thing. And the issue with that, and a lot of people play that up, and you know, it's great for them if you have a spiritual belief and you play it up, but there's so much complications when you call something a visitation. And I'm, I really stay away from that term per se. If someone uses it that I'm talking to, then, you know, okay, I'll, I'll understand that. But a lot of people, they don't know what they're saying that's actually harming people that are listening. Because a lot of people will have negative dreams that are just as vivid, just as one-on-one, and the person's trying to stab them or the person's chasing them or, you know, wanting stuff back from them or something in some that way. And those people will also take that as a visitation. So it's almost like a haunting. And like people need to be aware of the language they use around these. So rather than telling them what their dream is, just ask them like how they feel about the dream. And that's what I'm really trying to get a hold of because that allows people then to understand that it's not about are these dreams from the afterlife. Honestly, I personally don't care in that way. We can't answer that question. If it helps you in your belief system, that's great. Mm-hmm. If it's hindering you in your grief, well, we need to talk about that and see what the research really shows on that. And that's why I really want to look at, you know, what are the, what factors predict, you know, positive versus negative dreams as we move forward. And, and trauma is a big part of that. Trauma and unresolved feelings of guilt or blame really have these heightened uh, distress reactions after these, these negative dreams. And it's a, a telling sign that when you look, when someone has one of these negative dreams and they may call it a, a visitation of some sort, that's actually dealing with something, I feel, dealing with something that is more in tune with what they're trying to deal with in their grief. So I'll have an example. There's a, there's a, I'll have a couple of examples. I'll give you one from an adult and one from a child. <laughs> and so, so the one from an adult was the individual uh, was talking to me, and she had a husband that, that, and, well, a husband that died. And the husband came back to her in the dream, and she was shocked to see him. And basically... Um, he was asking her to get back together. And she said, no, I've moved on. I have a new partner. And he's like, well, the real reason I'm here is because I want all the money that you inherited. And then I'll leave you alone. She's like, you're such a mean and heartless person to do something like that, to make me think you're dead and all you really wanted was the money. And then um, she wouldn't give it back to him. And then he started chasing her in the dream. And so she had this as a repeated dream over and over again, which, of course, is disrupting her sleep patterns. And we know how important sleep is during the grief process. But so what do you take that as, right? Like, and so because of the, the culture of what they sort of have told her about these dreams, right? And I'm not sure her religious beliefs too, but to put it on a, a visitation is it, crazy to me because how distressing that is. And so I asked her basically, you know, um, my first, all, my first question always is, is this a memory? Like, was he a mean and heartless, mean person to you, right? Like, is this just like a trauma response that you're just trying to work through? And the answer is no. So he was actually a very loving person. So you could tell the confusion in her in that moment. And so when you start looking at the imagery, there's two things that pop up. The one is that there's this new partner in the picture. Um, that's a, a theme there. And the other one is this money. It's not a common thing that you ever hear the deceased talk about the money someone inherited. So um, when you ask about those two subjects, she says that the, um, the worst thing about his death was the money that she inherited, that he had to die for her to actually have it. And so she has great conflict in the fact of trying to sit with the fact that he made this money, but yet she's the one that gets to enjoy it. And then to complicate matters is that she's using that money in the new partnership. And so even in a new partnership, how hard it must be for someone to have a spouse die and then to re-engage and try to open your heart to someone new because that new person may not want to know more about your, your partner. It may, not, it may downplay your bond with them. So they're 
can be number one. So it's very difficult to have someone, I think, to provide that space for you to grieve and at the same time start a new relationship. Um, but yeah, that's that's a thing with, with humans. Sometimes we want to be number one all the time. <laughs> and so I can see it being very difficult for her to process those emotions, to love two different people and and to also work with that work with the emotions with having the money. But instead of seeing it as a visitation, what it is, you see it as the mind trying to reflect what you're trying to work through and where you should focus your time because those are the blocks you have that once you can work through those, other things can then trickle forward and you can get back to a better state of of living. But until those happen, you're going to be stuck. And I think that is the most important thing to understand about these dreams. And then when you go with uh, with a child, so I had an individual came up to me. She must have been like 50. I was at a conference and I had to like, we're talking about great dreams and stuff. Anyways, she said she always had this dream when she was a child and it was after her sister died and all she, you guys remember the Flintstones? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So she's always had this dream of Barney Rubble dragging her sister by the hair throughout her um, hallway and then jumping into a picture frame. She said she kept having this repeated dream and she never understood what it meant. And I said, and, but she's like, I remember it to this day and it's just as vivid. And I was like, wow, like, it's so interesting. I'm like, it's the first time I've ever seen the Flintstones in a grief dream. <laughs> tell you the truth. So like I said, like, I don't really know. I can't say like I've, I've seen something like this before, but you know, given that it was, well, so she was around like 60. So it must've been like 55 years ago. And like the culture that time around grief is probably um, pretty, pretty bad. So I said, you know, just to, like you just ask questions to try to understand the imagery. I go, did anyone like ever talk to you about her death? Because if she's being dragged away, it could represent, you know, something about, you know, maybe how she was informed. And she said, no, no one's really told me about it. I wasn't allowed at the funeral. No one talked about her after she died. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Like I can see then as a child, like the mind's trying to give you an understanding of what happened to your sister. And I think this is the importance of talking to children. It really showcases the importance of we need to talk to children about the death yes. and to talk about the funeral too and like what that all means. Because if not, the mind can make up these scenarios to try to provide some sort of understanding of what happened. Because the mind has a very hard time, in my opinion, of sitting with the unknown. And so it tries to give an explanation. Even the explanation is really crazy. I've seen it all the time. It doesn't matter. You'll go with it because that is, feels like a safer place for the mind to be in. And so, you know, she really understood that moment. And she's like, I feel that that's actually, you know, what it actually represented. I said, well, it's interesting, right? Like we're always learning, but like, but at the same time, it's just another example of why we need to talk about with adults and children, because there's so much information in these dreams to really help any kind of clinician or, or, or parent or anyone to really try to fine tune of how the individual is actually doing, because we can lie a lot and it's very easy to lie. But what I love about these dreams is they tell a truth, yeah. right? A, a truth that a lot of times we're afraid to acknowledge ourselves. And hence my first dream that I had about the love. So these dreams can actually showcase something very beautiful, even if they're negative, there's still something you know very beautiful and raw in those that can help us as we move forward. It's amazing. I'm, I just, I feel such a sense of gratitude that you, um, found this work and that you have um, researched it and paved the way for other people to hopefully jump on and, and to continue the research and just make this a sort of everyday strategy that people use to examine what wisdom is there in their dreams and, and to be able to 
handle grief better, to be able to handle all of life better. Because we, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast, although we talk about literal physical death, that we are surrounded daily by experiences that are little deaths and little births that can teach us or that we need, um, we need the same sort of support to go through the the way that Rachel and I both provide support people during physical experiences of birth and death. And so how amazing to think of the ways that dreams are available to help us if we would look to their look to the wisdom that they offer. Yeah, I think the the first first challenge is just realize you don't have the answers. You don't know yourself as much as you think you do. And I think that is a part of life is really trying to figure out who you are apart from the models your parents put on you, apart from the mm. culture's ideas how you should be. And you know, it's a very difficult task to even try to think to be able to do, but you know, dreams have helped me along the way to understand some of my tendencies, some of my thought patterns and and to really help me work through some things. And now which it was real, what's really interesting is in the beginning, after I had that first dream, I really looked to, to dreams to really understand who I was, right? Things I feared, helped me with problem solving, which, you know, dreams are really great for. And to understand my dream language, like everyone has a different dream language. So I wouldn't I just, you know, state this, don't buy a dream dictionary because everyone has mm-hmm. a different um, symbols for what things mean in their minds. And you have mm-hmm. to really want to work through and want to learn. So you're basically learning a, a new language and it just takes time. And we can go through how I, we could do that. But the is, easiest way for people to be able to do is just look at the emotions in the dream because that is a big telling sign on, on where you should focus. And then wherever that emotion is, look to your waking life on where that emotion may be at play and then start, try to tie in the figures and the symbols to that event. And, you know, as you do, you get better. But, uh, you know, I feel for people, though, because you're right, there's not people around that can really help people to gain this because our culture has really put down dreams in, in a lot of ways. But what I found was interesting is I, I always, like, every dream I really looked at. But as I moved forward and I started to know myself more and I became m- more aware of my emotions in waking life and how I was processing them, dreams actually lost their flair to me. So... Just because dreams, the whole point, I feel, of many dreams, is to get you to understand yourself. But the more you understand yourself, there's nothing more they can really tell you in that way. And, you know, there are times where I I get lost <laughs> in the sea of, of life, and I think I'm further than I truly am. And then I'll have a, uh, a negative dream that says, you got to look at this because you're not processing it. And I'm like, oh, my bad. Like, this happened in the pandemic. And um, I don't know how much we want to talk about, but the I had a, a, a dream in the pandemic where I was basically um, taking down the chandelier and eating shards of glass. And I woke up in like a deep sweat, and I couldn't like I haven't had a negative dream in, like for the longest time. And so for me to not only have a negative dream, but also for it to be like uh, just profusely sweating when I woke up, I'm like, there's something I'm missing. Like, what is going on? And so I had to. I thought I was doing fine. Like personally, I was like, what, what's going on? Like I'm doing great. Like I got a job. Like, like what are the issues here? And then I had to like look back and like, okay, if this was someone else's dream. What would I sort of, how would I uh, tackle this? And then I said, oh, okay, a chandelier. What is that? It's, it's something that provides light to a large room. Right. So I'm like, wait, what else is similar to that in my waking day life? I'm like, well, well, the news is right. The news provides information to a large space of people, right? Usually a country. And I said, and then I started looking at the news in a way. I'm like, I ingesting it, right? So how much do I look at it? And I realized I was because in the beginning of the pandemic, 
and the toilet paper craze. And so I, I was looking at the news probably maybe eight times a day, you know, like morning, you know, lunch, and then also right before bed. And at that moment, I realized, oh, wow, like, I'm ingesting not only the news, but also what they're writing about and the fear and the anxiety that they are writing with, because my foolish brain didn't realize that that actually, you know, impacts us, right? Our environment impacts us. What we read, what we see, it all impacts on how we feel. And so for me, it was like, okay, I got to really relook at and be aware of not only when I look at the news, but when I read the news, what's also the underlying tendencies there? Because if they, if a media puts fear or anxiety in you, you're more likely to read more articles from them. And so it is a marketing play and it's just understanding that and like, it's not bias free. So for me, it's just like, okay, so what do I need to feel safe? So I had to make a list, what I need to feel safe. I do that. And then, yeah, like you can check in the morning, you know, but don't get carried away. Like, just understand that, you know, someone will probably tell you if there's a serious mm-hmm. thing going on. But at the end of the day, like, don't spend so much time because it is affecting not only so it's affecting my dreams, which is telling me it was affecting who I was and how I was approaching people because that energy goes with anyone you meet. And so if I'm in a state of anxiety without knowing it, that anxiety is going into all my answers, how I, how I provide a space for someone to, to share and until you can really provide that that calm space, people will feel that anxiety. And people, what people need now is just a safe space to share. Like there's so much anxiety around them; they just need that that place to go to, where they can sort of just feel that everything's going to be okay. And and so that was like the one dream I, I had that really sort of really showcased that. But for normally, I don't you know really look at my dreams that often anymore because it's just there's not actually that that big of a purpose in them as there once was, which is really to teach me about myself. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know whether you've gotten a chance to talk to other people during the pandemic specifically about their dreams, you know, over the course of this last year. Um, I guess my first question is, have you gotten a chance to talk to many people? And two, um, have you noticed any themes coming up for people? Are they similar to the dream that you had? Or are there any other themes that have come up? Other than all of us having mask anxiety, we realize we're not without our masks. You know what's interesting? That is a, a theme. But I've never had that. And all my dreams still, people don't have masks. So like, I, I think that's kind of interesting in, in general. But yeah, like I said, like just in general, dreams in general, you do see these themes. And there has been research on it. Like, And it changes throughout the different aspects of the pandemic. But a lot of bug dreams, afraid of uh, something chasing you that you can't see. Like a lot of things like that that would reflect you know, covid and, you know, and also your fears that whatever they are, they'll be manifested within those dreams. But you're not getting positive dreams, right? Because dreams reflect our waking life. If you're anxious, well, that's going to come into that, that dream imagery. Also, like what you're watching, right? So dreams are actively trying to help you. But passively, what you intake during the day, people will know that will come in. So if you're watching a horror film or if you're looking at the news, all that stuff is going into your dreams because your mind's trying to process it all. Uh, even though you may not think you're anxious or worried it's still there and it's got to process it. So, you know, I won't talk too much about that, but I will say that when it comes to these dreams of the deceased, which is interesting, it does seem the same thing is going on where the dreams will are helping people figure this stuff out and provide them a space to feel love. And one of the things we haven't really talked about was the amount of love people can feel in these dreams is absolutely crazy. Like I've seen it over and over again where, um, they'll have one of these dreams and they, it's a feeling that they've never felt before. Like it's a, it's a type of love they've never felt before. 
And so that I can only imagine what that does to the brain in allowing sort of a, a respite in a way yeah. to process a lot of things. I think that's what you know meditation and is really trying to get at is trying to get into that state. But you know people can get there in, in, in these through these dreams for whatever reason. Um, but when it comes to some of these dreams, loneliness is such a big part of the pandemic. So what I've seen is some things where people are spending more time with the deceased. So like, so like there would be themes where maybe you're spending time with other people. But with the deceased is very interesting because it does change the way you feel when you wake up. It's not just like a, a dream per se, but you're actually there's a, a feeling of love within that imagery as you're spending time together. And then there's like other ones where I remember... One person recently just sort of shared one where she couldn't go to the uh, individual. Her father, she's Canadian. Her father is in the U.S. and he was dying, and he, she couldn't cross the border. And so they did the whole trying to like hold the phone up thing, where you know, like you know, say your last words, and you know, like she said it wasn't really that beneficial. It was nice to be able to do, but she just felt that she wanted to be there. She wanted to hold them. She wanted to ex- really express her love. And so she never got a chance to do that. And so a couple months later, she actually had a dream where she was able to do that, where she was with her father and her father started to die in her arms. And even though it's a sad dream, for her, it's a very beautiful one because she was able to express her love and to be there for him, which she never got a chance to do in waking life. And so she actually felt very beneficial to that because almost like really some of that, that guilt that she couldn't be there in a way. And then you have sort of these dreams where um, they're asking about you in the pandemic. So I remember like hearing this dream where the deceased is basically checking in. Like, so how are you doing? Kind of mm-hmm. thing. And reflecting the, the pandemic. And then like, you know, providing humor into the actual dream imagery. I wonder if I have it here. No, I don't have it here. But the, uh, the, the whole point was to provide a joyous and a loving feeling to regulate those emotions and to sort of mention that the, like for the person, it was, they felt it was spiritual in a way. And so provided the individual is still watching out for them. So to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the things in pandemic is that we just feel unsafe and to have those moments. And then like, there's other dreams where it's um, like the one person was, he never had a dream at all. And then after at Christmas time, she said that she felt the most lonely she ever felt because she couldn't go to her holiday like ritual stuff, right? Like the, the holiday ceremonies and stuff. And she had her first dream of uh, her deceased mother. And she said that really helped with that loneliness at that time. And one of the, 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 the really cool things, sometimes it helps us in the sense of understanding this, our safety and where we're at. And so one dream was uh, this individual who lost a friend long, long time ago, like over 20 years ago. Anyway, so he had this dream, and I have this one here. So basically, uh, they're, they're together, and his friend, his best friend, basically asked him, or actually he asked his best friend, do you think we're all going to be okay? All right, we're reflecting that pandemic. And then his friend said, well, how are you? And then he said, I'm okay. Then his friend said, then it seems that we're all going to be okay. And so like, there's so much in that if people know where to look because it starts with our, ourselves, right? Like we can't look outside to sort of understand how the culture is going to be. It's got to start with who we are. And if we're okay, we can actually then provide some sort of um, momentum for other people then to be okay. And so it's just like, it's a very beautiful dream. And you sort of see this and the, and the more 
uh, I hear these dreams, the more you start seeing these positive re reflections of, of how these dreams are helping people through the pandemic. And of course, it's going to, there's going to be some negative ones there too, because as I sort of said, like if you're having guilt um, or regret or even forms of trauma, which are all heightened now because of the pandemic, you're going to have, you know, probably, you know, more chance of having these negative dreams in general. And that's why it's also important to be able to showcase, you know, what they can mean for us and how to sort of work through those. But what the research is showing is that the theory is that most people who have a negative dream will also have a positive dream afterwards. And so the theory is as you work through those emotions, you're going to have that positive dream. And so it's not sort of cling to those negative dreams as it's going to be the only thing that you're going to have. So you don't want to change because some people like that's the thing. Like I don't want to work on my grief because then I won't get a chance to see them, even though the dream is very negative. But to really realize that, no, as we work through these, these dreams can change to something more positive for you to actually have those moments together. And what I love about these dreams is that sometimes our last moments are really, are really hard. And to see them dying again is a very challenging thing to process. But to have one of these dreams, well, now your last memory of the person is something healthy and happy, especially if it's positive. So you know, there's a lot of things that these dreams are doing that we're just figuring out now on how beneficial it can be like, for the grieving process. And I will state that I did look at, you know, who dreams of the deceased and who doesn't, because that was one of the major questions that people had when I sort of, when I was doing those bereavement groups. And so what I found, it has nothing to do with your spirituality. So some people thought that, oh, it's those people who are spiritual having these, all these dreams. It's not true. So the dreams actually look very similar to someone who's like an atheist versus someone who's spiritual. The difference may be in maybe the words that they speak or maybe where they're at in location. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it's really just about love and providing a sense of peace, you know, in the process. And so that's like the most beautiful thing. But why people, so when you look at like the predictors, the major predictor, and I replicated the research with spells loss and also pet loss, is just dream recall frequency. So the more people remember dreams in general, they're remembering more of these types of dreams. So what that says is me probably people are dreaming of the deceased more than they're actually remembering it. And then that's just an understanding of dream recall. And there's things that we can do to increase our dream recall. And that's just by valuing them, as I, I said in the beginning, and writing them down. And just basically, you know, doing the opposite of what the culture has told you about, which is to just think that they're meaningless or just because of its up, upset stomach or something, mm -hmm. right? Like, no, there's actually, mm -hmm. when you start writing them down, you're basically training your mind that they're important and you want to remember these now. And so your mind will do what, you know, what you focus on. And that's an amazing thing. I will caveat with the fact that you're probably going to have more negative dreams um, in general, just because you're going through a process of, of grief, but you'll have a chance to dream one of those, hopefully one of those positive dreams. Well, I'm going to take this. I feel inspired to start asking people about their dreams more, both in my professional life and personal life. Um, I probably texted Elizabeth three times this week about dreams that I had. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I texted you back multiple times about my dreams. Well. So let's keep, keep that up and expand yeah. it into a wider circle. <laughs> um, but yeah, professionally, I just feel like this is so helpful and I can see... Um, this is just another tool to help people through this process. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I've had other people that have worked at hospices um, prior on my podcast, and they've had dreams of past clients that were impactful for them and to provide them guidance and stuff. So it's very interesting on just like who impacts us and when they show up in our dreams and what that means to us. And a lot of times when we're working, 
especially at a hospice, you know, there's, there's so much to do. We, it's hard to like slow down and, and realize the impact we're actually having on them, but also, you know, what they're changing in us mm-hmm. at the same mm-hmm. time. And so it's just like, yeah, like, it's amazing. Like who's, who, who may you, uh, who you may like dream about at some time in the future. I'm just curious, did any of you ever have a dream of someone that's died? I've been wanting to have a dream about my grandmother who passed in October. It hasn't happened yet to my knowledge. <laughs> I don't re- remember it. Um, but I yeah. have had dreams of my dog who died. Oh. Um, and nothing, you know, no big storyline or anything, but just waking up and feeling, like you said, that that intense feeling of love. Um, and then feeling the sadness of realizing that he's no longer with us. Um, yeah. But yeah, really trying to focus on that deep love that I sensed during the dream. That's beautiful. Yeah, these pet loss dreams, the one reason why I wanted to study them is because pet loss is so disenfranchised in our culture. Mm-hmm. And it's to really like raise awareness to say, hey, like the dreams are very similar, doing something similar. So the grief must be similar. So we have to sort of validate this stuff. But yeah, like, these dreams are, they're very routine-like and, and oriented. Like there's nothing crazy really going on in them. But I have seen a couple of dreams where the dog actually talks to the owner. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right? And for both of those occasions, they're basically acknowledging that it's okay to get a new dog. Mm. And right? So they're questioning the decision on if it's time or not. And so the dog would basically said, yes, like you can get a new one, right? And so it's it's very beautiful. But for the most part, it's just hanging out, you know, playing and, and you know, just even sometimes just cuddling, mm-hmm. right? Those are the, the things that we, we miss the most and those things that provided us the most comfort when we were together. So it's nice that you can remember him remember your dog and your dream again and because a lot of times too we sometimes we forget and we get busy with life and it's those moments that we can sit back and it's like oh wow like not only like thank you for those moments that we had together right but also um maybe i should just you know take a moment to to slow down and to reflect who i've become since that loss because it would have changed you in some way and so like i'm just happy that you know you have such a caring heart for an animal that always warms my heart We'll have to get around to that pet episode one of these days, Elizabeth. <laughs> it's been it's been like at the top of our list for a long time because that is it's just such a special connection. That is a thin place, the relationships that we have with animals in our life. So Yeah. It's true. Well, I am sure people are very curious about sort of the practical ways um, that they can start to on their own be more mindful and, and use their dreams as a tool for a more truly living life. Um, But also, we'd just love to hear more about the different things that you offer. You know, we don't need to figure it out for ourselves, because you've done this amazing um, pioneering work. So can you just give us a little more information about where people can find you? Very specifically, where we can find the name of where we can find your podcast website, um, just where people can find out more about the work that you've been doing? Yes. So um, thank you for the opportunity to share this stuff. So I started a website, griefdreams.ca, and it has really answers to common questions so people to really get an understanding of it. And then on there, you can find links to everything. There's, I, I put a lot of different stuff in there, even about a pulp culture. So anytime there's a movie or a song that references one of these dreams, I've put it on there. And there's a ton and a lot of really big shows, or even the Big Bang Theory had Sheldon having a bunch of dreams of his friend in there. And even like songs like with Paul McCartney, you know, Let It Be, that song is actually based on a grief dream he had of his mom. 
And so there's a lot of stuff in, in, in there to get people to be more aware. And then also on there, there's links to if people want to actually be trained and, and to do a workshop on this. It's a nine and a half hour course that I developed and it's virtual, which is nice. You can do it on your own time, but it goes through everything. And people need to know about you know the basics of sleep, dreams, grief and trauma, and then these dreams and how to work with them and how they differ between cultures and what that means and how that reflects you know, how we should approach these dreams. So it's, you know, that's the the biggest thing. If you really are interested in more, I would say go there. And then if you're just, you know, if you have social media, I love Instagram. <laughs> that's, that's my thing. And I just joined, uh, so it's at Grief Dreams for there. And then I'm on Twitter and then Clubhouse had just joined. And so that's going to be a really interesting platform for me to try to do and to answer questions live. And then to even just talk about, you know, this subject in many different ways on there. So yeah, those are the, the major places people can find. And then Grief Dreams Podcast, you can go really on any um, podcasting platform. You just have to Google that and you'll see that. Great. Wonderful. Well, thanks for spending some time with us today. We are um, inspired. I think this has been such a lovely conversation and I know our listeners are going to enjoy it every bit as much as we have. Well, thank you for being such amazing hosts. You know, like it's, it's great to have not only be able to talk about it, but to be in a place where you feel that it's valued. And you guys both showed that. So I want to thank you just for that and having your hearts in the right place and doing the show and just, you know, doing who or being who you need to be in this world. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Now it's our turn to hear from you. So would you do us a big favor and go into your podcast app and rate us? Even better, would you write us a glowing review? That will help other listeners to find us. And make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. You can also visit our website at everydaythinplaces.com where you will find all sorts of fun and interesting information, as well as learn about how you can help to support this podcast and earn special exclusive perks. There you will also find links to follow us on social media, or else just pop directly over to Instagram or Facebook where you will find us at Everyday Thin Places. Thanks so much for joining us today. Until next time, I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Rachel. Bye. Bye.